Hello and welcome to the Business of Data podcast. My name is Catherine King and I'll be your host. In this podcast, we chat to senior executives from a range of departments, industries and functions, all about their passions, experiences and challenges within data analytics. Let's go ahead and dive straight into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Business of Data podcast. Today's episode is all about innovation, agility, and value, specifically how to ensure you're embracing new innovations and remaining agile in changing times. Now, to talk about all of this, I have brought in the wonderful Louise Maynard Atom. And if you haven't met Louise before, just a few intro facts to uh, bring you up to speed. Since March 2021, Louise has been GBG's Data Insight Lead. However, Louise is a lady that wears many a hat and is also the research lead for Women in Identity and the co-founder of the Corporate Innovation Forum. So I didn't start the podcast how I usually do, saying the job title, because Louise has far too many to keep going. But if you can't find Louise at her work desk, your best bet will be to head into the kitchen where she'll be combining her love of chemistry and wine, tasting something delicious. Louise, it's lovely to have you joining me today. Thank you so much, Catherine. It's great to be here. Now, I've got to ask, in addition to the love of wine tasting, you're also really into your boxing, aren't you? How did you get (laughs) into that? Um, so I, I love exercise, you know, historically, it's probably been for uh, fitness and physical reasons, but certainly over the past 12 months, it's been more of a, a mental health thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, I probably started boxing or I started size around 10 years ago, just again, a way to keep fit. But I think probably two or three years ago, I started training with a former uh, professional boxer. Uh, and I just found it's a really great stress reliever. It's really, it really keeps me present. So I think I find with a lot of other exercise, my mind drifts off and I start thinking about work or I start thinking about other things yeah. I need to do. But with boxing, you stay in the moment. And if you don't stay in the moment, you're going to get a hit. So it keeps me, it keeps me very physically and mentally present. It's really helped me in terms of my concentration um, and kind of the byproduct of that is, is the fitness thing as well. But um, it's more, I think now for the, for the mental health benefits of it, for the mental presence of it. And also mm-hmm. just sometimes you just need to hit something because it's been a stressful day and hitting something, is, there's just nothing else like it. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's been a, it's been a fun journey and yeah, it's been definitely keeping me sane over lockdown. Absolutely love that. And I mean, what a great way to to come into a podcast about agility and innovation when we're talking about staying present and thinking and adapting in the moment. Um, I'm not going to try and do too many puns and and boxing into this podcast now. I'll I'll, I'll try and avoid it. Um, But yeah, let's jump into it. So, So today we are talking all about innovation, agility and value. Now, something you hold close to your heart, Louise, is the idea that companies and executives need to remain agile. Why is that? I think if the last 12 months or so has taught us anything, it's that, you know, agility really is king and is key because you never know when you are going to have to you know, make a pivot, make a change, changes to your business model, changes to your ways of working, changes to, you know, what you're doing with data and, and how you're using data. Um, and I think it's taken the global pandemic, I suppose, to really bring agility into really clear focus. I think we were always, you know, really aware of all of the benefits that, you know, it helps us innovate faster. It helps us to, you know, surface the problem quicker and and utilize data more effectively. But I think it wasn't until we really had to put agility into practice really, really quickly because necessity meant that we had to, that we realized the importance of it and that executives 
could take it more from, you know, just lip service or just saying, yes, agility is great and we all need to be more agile to hang on a second. We really need to be agile because our entire workforce is about to work from home and we've never had to deal with that before. And we need to, you know, not skip a beat. So I think, yeah, obviously the, the, the pandemic has been incredibly challenging, but I think it's also brought agility into really clear focus and now gives people actual examples of how valuable agility actually is. And I don't think we could have gotten there in any other way other than by actually having to do it, actually having to live through it and actually having to pivot so quickly. So it's always been important, but now I think people are really aware of how important it is in terms of being able to keep your business going through really uncertain times. Absolutely. And I think that's so interesting what you say there, Louise, about the fact that you haven't had a choice, right? It's a bit like all the innovations that we've seen over the last uh, 13 months or so with regards to, um, you know, working from home. There was a lot of people that said, absolutely not. We couldn't work from home. It's not going to work. And suddenly Mm -hmm. you've removed that choice. Now you've got to. And I I appreciate that comparison with with agile working. Now, you mentioned there are a couple of things um, that the agile thinking and working benefits for innovation, but kind of uh, adjacent to that. Many companies and organizations were in a a phase of just having to make things work, having to kind of carry on. Do you think that there has been that ability to embrace agile and innovate at the same time during this pandemic? Or do you think that innovation is going to come from the the way that we've had to embrace this kind of, as you say, strategic uh, uh, pivoting? I think it's probably a case of a little bit of both. So I think Innovation and and agile, agile thinking, agile practices go hand in hand because I think um, agile is kind of the cornerstone I've always thought of for innovation because innovation is ultimately, you know, we're trying to do something new. We're trying to build something new, but we want to make sure that we're not just, you know, doing it in sort of a waterfall approach. We're taking small incremental steps, pulling in the feedback loops. And that's effectively what Agile teaches you. Obviously started out in in software development, but you can take the principles and apply it to absolutely anything. And I think innovation is no different. So I think you're right. We have had to change. And and I suppose necessity is the the greatest driver for innovation when it needs to be. Um, And so some of the things that we've done have been a case of, well, you know, we've got to keep the lights on, we've got to keep the wheels turning, so we have to do this. Um, but I do think that there, there will be lots of innovations that come from what we've all been through for the past 14 months. But I think it's forced people to actually innovate in the moment and stay agile in the moment, not just a case of, okay, we're going to do this and it's going to keep us going for X period of time. But it's mm-hmm. like, okay, it's going to keep us going, but and it needs to consistently keep us going. So how do we iterate and refine this process to make sure that it's stable and to make sure that it's scalable? Okay, great, it's worked for us for this week. How do we make it work for this year, for this next five years, for this group of people, for this entire um, set full of organization of people? So I think, yes, it was born out of necessity, but we've been, we've been in this for a while now. So <laughs> I think we're not, we've gone past the point of just getting by and it's become yeah. a new way and the new process and the new ways of working. So I'm not, I'm going to try and avoid saying the new normal, that <laughs> phrase, but it has, it started off as being, we're just trying to get by. It's now become process. It's now become the new way that we work. So we'll see more innovation to come, but I definitely think, you know, innovation and agility has already helped us get through this past 14 or 15 months and counting. 
Absolutely. And I think, you know, that that no matter where you're listening from today, each geography has had to go through this process. You know, mm-hmm. it's not been just one consistent lockdown. And as you say, it's it's the agility of, oh, we're, we're out of lockdown. Oh, we're back into, you know, oh, we're yeah. shelter in place. And it is that case of that, that it has been ongoing, as you say, for, for a number of times, for a, a length of time. Sorry. Now, what are the current challenges you're seeing in your industry when it comes to agile working in data analytics? Because it certainly isn't all uh, rainbows and, and butterflies when it comes to this. So, so what are the yeah. challenges that you're seeing? I think from a data and analytics perspective specifically, those two areas always seem to lend themselves to the big digital transformations um, and sort of those big programs that cost loads of money and are going to be multi-year and you know they're going to deliver all the bells and whistles and everything's going to be great afterwards um, and that kind of flies a little bit in the face of what agile is supposed to be so and I'm not saying that you know digital transformation and agile are completely mutually exclusive but oftentimes when organizations are undergoing this digital transformation it is very much seen as this big long project that is going to deliver at the end of five years. Um, And I think people have found it really difficult to break those digital transformations down into the like manageable, explainable, justifiable chunks. Um, And I think that's where people are having the difficulty, particularly from a data and analytics perspective, because they see it as this big transformation that is gonna deliver all of this value, but over a really long period of time. And people have really struggled to kind of, I think, segment that out into, okay, we're going to do this small thing here and it's going to achieve this piece of value. And we're going to do the feedback loops and then we're going to build on what we get from these small experiments. It seems as though a lot of organizations feel like they're under pressure to deliver a big transformation program, Mm. but that's, that's just not, I don't think that's the best way to deliver in terms of data and analytics and certainly not from an agile perspective. So I think that's, I think a lot, the big problem I've seen is that people want to implement this big digital transformation program, but they don't, they're not taking into account all of the really great beliefs that they have through agile. They're kind of putting that to the side because they think, oh, this needs to be a big turnaround. That's going to really change the fundamental direction of the company. So it's almost like looking at a staircase, you know, you want to get to the top, but what they're not appreciating is those little steps that you're making in order to get to the top. So what would be, what would be your advice to, to breaking that down? Then that big transformation, you know, at the end of say five years, 10 years, this is your ultimate goal. What would be Mm -hmm. your suggestion in breaking down those steps or, or how have you seen it done in the past? I think it's about starting small. I think it's about starting with specific whatever your specific business question is. So obviously you're going to have, you need to get to the top of that staircase, but there are going to be specific steps that you need to take in order to get there. So let's break it down into what key business questions are you trying to answer? And what is the smallest possible experiment that I can do that's going to give me some evidence either, you know, to help me answer this question. And so I think splitting it out into those really manageable, specific experiments that are really well-defined. And the key there, I think, is the really well the really good definition uh, and being really, really clear about what success looks like and how we're going to measure that and when we're going to be happy to move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. So splitting it out into those really small manageable chunks, it sounds really, really obvious, but I just don't see it being done all that widely. I, I see the big vision, but I don't see, okay, and that big vision is going to be broken down into these 10 small steps that are going to be delivered over this FY and the next FY and this quarter. 
So I think it's just breaking it down into those manageable chunks and being really, really specific about what each experiment is going to deliver, what that value means, and then how you know you've hit success and can move on to the next thing. I think that's the best way. Fantastic. Now, actually, one of the questions I was going to ask you uh, during this episode, Louise, was about that communication of value. It seems to be Mm. one of the biggest challenges I hear day in, day out from the executives I get to chat with is that it's the communicating and understanding that value of data and communicating that effectively with the business. So in in some ways, does that link with this idea you have about these smaller steps and actually the value gets lost because you're trying to communicate 10 years worth of plan when actually you should be communicating, you know, possibly weeks months and maybe a year of the plan into the grand scheme so so is that taking part as you say taking those steps that would help value in your opinion I definitely think so I also think there's um there's a level of education that needs to be organization wide so I I talk a lot about like a, a data driven culture in an organization and that's at every single level not just it's not just relegated to the people who have data science in their title or analytics or, or analyst it's everyone in the business right the way from the you know the ceo to you know the customer service agents everybody needs to understand the value that data brings because if you don't have that understanding right the way through your organization I don't think you're going to be able to make good on what the those who are tasked specifically with data science or analytics are going to be able to do and I think there's a there's almost like a translation process that needs to happen with those who are really you know steeped in the data and those who aren't because I often talk to you know data scientists and data analysts and and they will speak in one kind of way but then you talk to the business stakeholders and they're talking about things in a completely different kind of vocabulary so I think there's a a level of translation that needs to happen so that those who are you know working with the data and doing the data science and all of the really clever amazing things are communicating the value of that in the language that the business stakeholders are going to be able to understand. So Is that a case that you need someone like a data journalist? I've heard this uh, term used quite a bit as as someone to mediate those conversations. Or do you think it's rather having that upskilling in data storytelling and having all the data professionals able to translate effectively into business language? Or Mm. third option, which you you, you may (laughs) say option all all three, Catherine, which is is quite fair, but obviously different organisations have different budgets and resources, would Mm. be the data literacy of the wider business so that they can understand the, the data lingo a little bit better so what 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 is your best approach what have you seen work really well or is it a case that you want all of them done well obviously I want all of them but uh (laughs) pragmatically speaking I think there needs to be data literacy for the entire organization so that everybody is kind of on the same page to a certain extent I think that will take time though and in the time that it takes to you know skill up an organization to a, a standard minimum level of data understanding you're going to need those people who can translate between the two now I don't think those are necessarily permanent roles or they will mature into something slightly different and um, once that level of understanding is there but I think you will in the short term or in the interim you will need people to be able to translate between the two and I think there is I mean I've seen quite a few examples of this it's data journalists data translators whatever we're calling them you know there are there there are, I have come across a few examples of people who can really speak both of those languages and I think it's it's almost unfair to go to your data scientists or analytics professionals and say right okay we need you to do all of this really really difficult stuff and then also we need you to be able to translate this into a very slick fantastic story visual slides whatever that are going to go and you're going to go communicate to the to the ceo i think you know we let 
encourage people to do what they are best at. And if there are people that can come in and translate between the two and sit happily at that interface between the, the more technical side and the more business side, then, you know, pull on those skills. Let's not mm. try and ask everybody to do everything. Let's find those people that are comfortable in between the two sides or the two sections um, and, you know, utilize their skills. It's interesting that you say that the role of a data translator may not be a permanent thing and will evolve in the future. Now, I've asked this question on the Bob Pop before, and I'm interested to know your perspective. Do you think that there's going to be a generation cohort where this sort of translation problem isn't as uh, prevalent because the generations coming up in the talent pool now are just naturally a little bit more data literate due to the fact that we grew up in a digital age, due to the fact mm. that, you know, most people are lo looking at analytics on their TikToks and things like that. <laughs> they, they understand this language language far more than executives uh, that, that, that have uh, been and gone due to uh, you know just the way that we work in the world now so do you think that's going to be part of that um, evolution absolutely absolutely I mean I think gosh I'm going to show my age here but um, you know dealing with data and understanding analytics was just not something that I did when I was younger not even when I was at university because it just you know data science wasn't even a phrase like no one oh maybe they clubbed it together, but it was, certainly wasn't well recognized. I remember starting out in operational research, which is kind of a bit of a precursor to data science. Mm. So I think, you know, I think the generations that will come after me certainly will take, um, you know, data science as a given and as a granted and as, a, as an enabler to everything that they do in life. So that means to me when they entering, entering into the world of work, they are going to bring that knowledge, that in, innate understanding with them. So I think why I say of the data translation role isn't necessarily going to be a permanent thing is because there's going to be a higher basic level of data understanding, I believe, mm. in later generations. So I don't necessarily think we will need to translate as much because I think everybody will be on a slightly elevated level playing field when it comes to data understanding. Really, really interesting. I was having a very interesting conversation with an executive the other day. I won't name them because it was in confidence, <laughs> but um, they, they said, you know, you've got to remember that our industry, our community of data analytics is so young compared yeah. to so many others. Exactly. And as you say, data science wasn't really a, a term that was spoken about when you were in university. And, you know, think of all the evolutions since you were, were in education exactly. to now. And we've got to embrace that and, and, and not be too hard on ourselves that actually the innovation <laughs> we're doing is at incredible speeds. Anyway, I'm going to drag the conversation back to value yeah. because I'm really interested to know um, mm. many organizations I chat to struggle with the return on investment with data. And, you know, the, the whole concept of data being on the balance sheet. Now, as we've spoken about, the pandemic has brought in a lot of challenges. And one of those inevitably will be budget tightening for, for many organizations. So how have you seen um, in, in, in your various roles, people grappling with this return on investment of, of data? I think it's been really, really difficult in every role I've had and all the roles I do outside of my day job. Uh, uniformly difficult for people and I think that stems from this kind of lack of understanding of what value data drives and data in and of itself doesn't really have implicit value mm. it's what we do with that data and what insights we uh, come up with um, that has that drives the value and it's not even just the insights it's the actions we can take off of the top of those insights and I think because that data is at the start of that funnel and then actionable insights are at the end. But the process between those two things is a little bit gray and a little bit um, can change depending on you know, the setting that you're in, the organization that you're in. So I think people don't necessarily have a 
a clear way to link the data that they get in versus the actionable insights that they can take on the back of that data that they have. So I don't think people know or understand very well how to measure ROI because they're not exactly clear on what they're measuring. Um, and I think I like the idea of, you know, data having a place on the balance sheet because, you know, it's it's an asset class, by the way, and I'm no accountant, so <laughs> don't quote me on this, but, you know, it's certainly an intangible asset that every business has. So it does have a place. I'm, I'm not, no idea how you would account for it with, you know, modern accounting principles, but it should in theory have a place because it does drive a lot of value. But I think people struggle to measure ROI because they don't know what they're actually trying to measure so turning that data into actionable insights they're not clear on what that process is mm. and that's why they say well you know analytics projects aren't delivering on ROI it's like well what were the measures that you set out at the very start of this project in order to measure that ROI in a lot of cases they don't set out those measures those success factors up front so how can the project or the transformation ever really deliver if you never set the bounds on what you were measuring and what success looked like in the first place and I think that's a step that a lot of people miss out because it's really hard to do <laughs> effectively absolutely and I, I guess it all just comes back to as we said uh, at the start of the uh, episode here is that that communication that understanding mm. of the of the project's um, length and what that all means and that actually as you say if you don't set out those parameters for success it's going to be really really hard yeah. to measure them exactly now, I'm keen in the in the last uh, 10 minutes or so of our, our time together, Louise, to, to pick your brains a little bit about the, the other roles and things you do, because I know before we pressed record today, you were telling me that you're really passionate about ensuring you're part of lots of exciting conversations. And I wondered if you'd tell me a bit about the work you do outside of your role with uh, Women in Identity and the Corporate Innovation Forum. Yeah, of course. So um, Women in Identity is a, is a non-profit that is focused on the identity sector, so particularly the digital identity sector. Um, and it's all around ensuring that, you know, digital identity, as, as we've seen over the past 12 months, is becoming increasingly the gatekeeper to um, consumers accessing various different kinds of services. Uh, and I suppose the risk with technology and technology becoming more and more required for everybody is that, you know, we're not always designing for all of the community that we're trying to serve and it's never normally intentional but you know we all have our own implicit biases and oftentimes when we are in positions where we are designing a solution that's designed to work for everybody we tend to design for like ourselves effectively because that's just who we are as people uh, and so women in identity is is a group that's all around ensuring that any technology that is being fed into the identity sector is built for and by um, everybody that it's supposed to serve. Uh, and the work that I do there is I, I lead the research side of, um, of the nonprofit. And we have just kicked off a big phase of work, which is us implement or trying to implement a code of conduct for digital identity providers. So what that means is that whenever organizations are building new digital identity solutions they are aware at every every step of the product life cycle that this is where bias might creep in this is mm. where non-inclusivity might creep in and this is how we correct for that um, so that whenever you're you know putting a piece of, of tech out into the world you're putting the best piece of tech out into the world the piece of tech that's been tested on everybody that might use it not just the people sitting around the table that's you know taken into account what 
not having access to this might mean for somebody and and protecting against that or allowing for alternatives for that so um yeah just uh, it's uh, something i've always been really really passionate about making sure that you know everything is as inclusive as it can be or at least we're designing that inclusivity into the product rather than having to retrofit it afterwards so that's what i uh, spend my time doing with women in identity uh, and the and the corporate innovation forum I came up with gosh 2017 so four four years ago now um i've worked across a number of uh, different verticals different organizations all of which have similar challenges when it comes to innovation particularly in large companies large corporates um and i think i found that you know everybody was facing those same challenges so the corporate innovation forum was effectively um a means of getting people together to be able to share best practices because you know so often we become siloed within our own organization or siloed within our own industry vertical mm -hmm. and we don't realize that you know someone say i'm in financial services someone over there in in defense is having the exact same problem albeit a different slightly different wider context but yeah. having the exact same challenges so the the innovation forum was was set up to share those best practices and help people sort of cross-pollinate ideas from across different verticals because i think you know that's ultimately what innovation is all about you know taking the good things from other areas and seeing how they apply to yours so that's how uh, how that came about too absolutely fasc fascinating i think it's so interesting louise especially going going back to the the women in identity it's it's almost like you you've uh you know foretold this this wider ethics uh challenge because i know it's, it's absolutely so hot as a topic um mm. you know i direct our global advisory board and it's something that they're really keen on discussing again as you say that kind of cross industry cross vertical um understanding because it's in it's a challenge that we're all experiencing right um no, no matter what so it's really interesting that you're uh you know paving the way for a code of conduct and that i'd certainly be very interested to see uh see what you produce from that so uh last few minutes we've got here what's next in your journey what are you uh hoping to achieve next well so i like you said at the at the very top of the show i've just started at, um, at GBG as the leading the data insights function. Um, so I've been around nearly three months now. So super, super exciting, a really great opportunity to effectively build out an entire you know, data function within the business. So I'm probably the first dedicated data insights analytics hire that the business has made. Um, so I think, you know, the next 12 months is going to be very much building out that function, building out that data strategy, because ultimately GBD's vision is all around, you know, creating trust in a digital world. Mm -hmm. And data insights is going to be absolutely pivotal to how we can deliver that for our customers. So the next 12 months and the, the big focus for probably quite a little while will be on building out that team, building out that strategy, and hopefully taking into account all of the things that I've been saying in this <laughs> podcast today, I mean, doing it incrementally, doing it by like, you know, small experiments that prove the value, et cetera. So hopefully I can uh, practice what I've been preaching <laughs> to everybody else. You're, you're not the first one to tell me that, Louise. I have had many a guest email me afterwards and say, oh my goodness, whilst I was talking through this with you, Catherine, it actually made me think I'm going to go away and do this, this and this, because it's just yeah. really clarified my <laughs> thoughts on this. So I'm glad I offered you the same opportunity to provide a bit of a, 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 a runway for your, your next 12 months. So Absolutely. my last question to you, Louise, mm -hmm. today is if you had to pick two takeaways that you'd love our listeners to just bring with them after listening to this podcast episode, what would they be? Um, I think probably a, a piece around agility um, and 
we, I, th I think it's easy to get a little bit lost in, in what's happened over the past 12, 14 months. But, you know, we've all pivoted really, really quickly. We've all been supremely agile. So next time we have to have conversations around, can we be agile? Well, absolutely we can, because we've just, we've just lived through 14 months of near constant having to be as agile as possible. So I think let's, let's recognize that and let's take the learnings from that into the future, because we've proved that we can do it when we've needed to. Mm -hmm. So let's maybe if we take out some of that, you know, the necessity of a global pandemic, but let's keep some of the of the great practices that we've instilled and enabled and shown that we can deliver over the course of the past 12 months and take that forward into hopefully non-global non pandemic times. Um, and then the second thing is probably being super, super clear about what you want to achieve from your your new data programs or analytics programs and, and just being really, really specific. So I find businesses are really specific in, you know, when it comes to legal or accounting or, you know, recruitment and things, bring that same level of specificity to your data strategy and data approach, because in the same way that you would measure any other area, you need to be able to measure the actions that you're taking from data and analytics in order to drive that ROI. So just bring that specificity that you would apply anywhere else to your data strategy as well. Absolutely brilliant. Louise, it's always a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Great to be here. We hope you enjoyed that podcast episode. Do be sure to subscribe and follow the Business of Data podcast wherever you're currently listening to ensure you're always first in line to the latest episode. We'd also appreciate your review as well. So if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving us a review. And as always, find us on socials as well as heading over to the Business of Data platform for more forms of great content, including articles, blogs and video. Until next time, stay safe, stay well and we'll see you real soon.